Welcome to the Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor, and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that being said, let's get on with the show. Ballroom dancing. I think this is why ballroom dancing comes up as something that prevents Alzheimer's disease because you're physical, you're being physical as you're having to remember the steps, plus you're being social. You get a lot of engagement together at the same time, simultaneously. And we see really like nearly exponential benefits. So you get tons of benefit just from strength training or from cardio. But if you combine it with being at your cognitive edge, you get much, it's not a little bit more benefit, you get much more benefit, significantly more benefit. If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven day osteoporosis kickstart guide. That's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. You won't want to miss that. So pause this right now, head over to bonecoach.com and I'll be here as soon as you get back. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore Alzheimer's, brain health, bone health, and improving cognition at any age is Dr. Heather Sanderson. Dr. Heather Sanderson is a naturopathic doctor who has dedicated her career to supporting those suffering with dementia. She's created a unique, successful solution for patients and caregivers using clinical, residential, research, and educational platforms employing holistic and multimodal interventions. She's the primary clinical investigator and author of the peer-reviewed article, Observed Improvement in Cognition During a Personalized Lifestyle Intervention in People with Cognitive Decline, published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease in August of 2023. At Marama, Dr. Sanderson has created an immersive residential experience in the lifestyle proven to best support brain health, including personalized treatment plans, sensory stimulation, engaging activities, and intensive cognitive therapies. She's the founder of Solsere Health Clinic in Marama, the first residential care facility for the elderly of its kind. At Solsere, Dr. Sanderson and her team of doctors and health coaches focus primarily on supporting patients looking to optimize cognitive function, prevent mental decline, and reverse dementia by addressing root causes of imbalance in the brain, and body. She also hosts the annual Reverse Alzheimer's Summit, which has reached over 150,000 registrants. She's currently working on a book that will be published by Harper Wave in 2024 to scale her impact and work towards her goal of making dementia rare and optional. She's excited to shatter common misconceptions about Alzheimer's and share what she has learned about keeping your brain sharp at any age. Dr. Heather Sanderson, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Kevin. It's really a privilege to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And let's start out 
by talking about, I would love to understand, I know we're just coming off of this summit, uh, depending on when people are watching this, but uh, maybe you could share what are some of the most significant findings that you've come across from research, clinical experience related to Alzheimer's and dementia, and how have they really shaped your understanding of these conditions? Well, Kevin, I wanted to start by saying I came into this work as a skeptic. I had been told over and over there was nothing that you could do for Alzheimer's by super smart people who were very well-meaning. They said, don't tell people you can reverse their Alzheimer's. Don't suggest that there's anything you can do because that's giving people false hope. And I still hear that from people. But it's just factually inaccurate that there's nothing you can do. I have watched it over and over and over again. And when I saw it for one of my first patients where she just absolutely transformed, I mean, her quality of life went from barely being able to have a relationship with her husband, barely even being able to answer questions with yes or no, to having full conversations, to bickering with him about something that happened, you know, the day before, the night before. And we got to measure it. We actually got to measure her cognitive impairment on a baseline. And then six weeks later, when I saw what she was capable of with severe dementia, Kevin, I couldn't help but think like, what's possible for everybody else who's younger, who's earlier on in the disease process, who maybe doesn't even have symptoms yet? What if we could catch them and do these things for them? We could eliminate so much suffering. And so through that, I actually did the research trial, the clinical trial that you referred to, because I wanted to be able to answer my patients' questions or their family members' questions around if if this, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to put the money in and the effort and the resources and the time to help my loved one who is struggling cognitively, how likely is it that they're going to get better? And to answer your question, like, what has surprised me? What have I learned? I've learned that this is totally possible to reverse cognitive decline, to reverse Alzheimer's, and that it doesn't just happen sometimes, but actually the majority of time that people get this support, they get better. They get measurable improvement. Now, I don't want to suggest that this is a cure. There's no cure for Alzheimer's. And what we see is that when people fall off of the lifestyle, when they're, you know, if they fall back into a standard American diet, sleep deprivation, sedentary lifestyle, they're not taking good supportive nutrients, maybe they stop bioidentical hormone replacement. If they fall off the wagon, it comes raging back. So this is really about a lifestyle change. And there's a bunch of things that we can do. And I think the, my biggest takeaway from my work and like the biggest like mind-blowing thing that's happened for me, the biggest change in my perception of Alzheimer's based on what I've learned from other people, from my own research, is that there is so much we can do to prevent and yes, even reverse Alzheimer's. I love to hear that. And and what are some of those things? I mean, now you're, you're typically working with the person that is already diagnosed or told they have dementia or Alzheimer's, correct? Well, there's a spectrum. So it's a total luxury. I love it when somebody comes in and they're like, well, unfortunately I lost my mom, but I want to make sure this doesn't happen to me. Obviously not a luxury that she lost her mom, but really wonderful for me as a clinician to be able to start before the symptoms start, you know, to do all of these interventions as prevention. It is so much easier to prevent this disease than to reverse it. We have to work a lot harder when we're in that more severe stage. And I work with people on that entire spectrum. So whether they're prevention, they're maybe in those early stages where it's like, 
I would have remembered that neighbor's name five years ago, but now I'm struggling to find words or maybe even getting lost or disoriented, feeling more overwhelmed than I would have, booking travel or doing things that used to be old hat really easy. All of a sudden, my brain is different and I want to get that that cognitive capacity back, work with those people. And then we support caregivers who are caring for people with really late stage dementia and seeing if we can reverse that get some improvement in quality of life for both the caregiver and the person suffering directly with dementia. And can we walk through that spectrum, right? What does it look like for each stage of that spectrum where somebody might be at? What are the things they're thinking about, considering? How are you helping them in that process? Yeah, so the intervention is really the same. This is about graceful aging. It's about bone health. It's about brain health. It's really about looking holistically at lifestyle and also looking at the causal factors in chronic complex disease. So in the case of prevention, again, it's this luxurious, like we can slow down, we can take our time, we don't have to throw everything at it yesterday. Whereas with severe dementia or if someone's starting to have cognitive symptoms, we want to be all in. We are not dipping our toe in the water, we are diving in headfirst and really, really, really committing to this process because we need we need results quickly. We need we need change, right? We're on this downhill slide. So the approach is very much lifestyle-based. I mentioned diet, exercise, sleep, really big pieces, also stress and stress management. I think of causal level factors when it comes to chronic complex disease. And there's a finite number of them. And it really starts with imbalance. And I define, define imbalance as too much, too little, in the wrong place or at the wrong time. This can be applied to osteoporosis, of course, right? You don't have the right minerals in the right place at the right time. The wrong signaling can be happening, throwing things off. Same thing in the brain. What are those things that can be thrown off and out of balance that cause cognitive decline? It can be toxins, too many toxins in the brain, not enough toxins coming out of the brain through that glymphatic system for whatever reason. It can be nutrient imbalances. Maybe it's too much sugar leading to glycotoxicity or the toxicity associated with diabetes. Sometimes you'll hear uh, Alzheimer's called type 3 diabetes. Literally, the caramelization of cells in our brains is leading to inflammation and a lack of cognitive function. We can address this and we'll go into the diet that I recommend. But the other piece of this is nutrient deficiencies. If our gut isn't working well, right, we might not be getting enough B12 or vitamin D or the amino acids that support our neurotransmitters like acetylcholine or GABA or glutamate, all of those chemical signals in our brain that allow us to you know, get those memories, go get that name of the neighbor. So toxins, nutrients, stressors, and again, too much or too little. So we can have too much stress, right? We've, we've probably all had that experience of being under a ton of stress, maybe giving a speech in front of an audience and just completely re- forgetting what we were supposed to say. Stress makes it hard for us to remember. The other side of this is the retiree who's like, I've worked. I'm going to kick my feet up and I'm going to sit in front of the TV and I'm not going to challenge myself anymore. We need enough stress that we're challenged, we're engaged, but not so much that we're overwhelmed. And then, so we've talked about toxins, nutrients, stressors. We also want to look at structure. Structure is, you know, you're the bone coach, you know all about the hip bone being connected to the leg bone, that femur bone is one of these really important things that we think about with osteoporosis. But also 
structurally at that macro level, we can have chronic pain that's interfering with things. We can have structural issues in terms of our blood vessels being clogged and not getting blood flow to the brain. We might even have a crick in our neck. Now we're not getting efficient blood flow in and out of the brain. That's macrostructure, the way maybe a chiropractor or an orthopedist might think about it. We also have molecular structure, genetics. So genetic issues can cause, you know, all, all kinds of issues from, you know, chromosomal abnormalities that mean we're not even viable to be on the planet to something like ApoE4 genetics, where there's a single nucleotide polymorphism, these alleles that we get from our parents are, are can put us at higher risk for generating inflammation in the brain and put us at higher risk then for developing Alzheimer's later. And when we're aware of that, we can make all of these lifestyle changes and these prevent, take these preventative measures. Maybe we do a little bit more than our neighbor or spouse who's not genetically related to us, but we have that empowering information that we can do all this. So that's structure. Toxins, nutrients, stressors, structures, and infections. These infections, uh, there's a handful of them that specifically trigger inflammation in the brain. It includes P. gingivalis that's associated with gingivitis and oral health. Spirochetes like Lyme disease and the Lyme co-infections can create inflammation in the brain and have been found in beta amyloid plaques, which are antimicrobial. Those plaques are antimicrobial. They are really there to protect us. So what we want to do is not trigger them in the first place. So P. gingivalis, Lyme, spirochetes, and then the herpes virus. So if we're getting repeated outbreaks, that can also trigger inflammation in the brain very directly. And then COVID. Many of us have had this experience. Maybe you know someone who had COVID and you notice their brain just wasn't online the way it used to be. And again, this has to do with triggering that inflammation. So as a doctor, as a coach, and however I'm supporting the people coming to me, whether they're on prevention or you know we're, we're doing this intervention um, to reverse Alzheimer's, we want to look really systematically at each of those components. The way my mentor, Dr. Bredesen, describes it is think of dementia as this place we're arriving at, right? All these people, 6.5 million people in America today have arrived at this diagnosis of dementia. They got there in different ways. And that's the why. And so what we want to uncover is what was the pathway that you took to the, the diagnosis of dementia and how can we take you, lead you back in the other direction? And remembering that these are not mutually exclusive, right? You might have, you know, structurally, you might have had a traumatic brain injury that triggered inflammation, and you might have low hormones that aren't getting you that signaling, and you might be eating too much sugar or not exercising enough. So we want to look at this holistically. And the way I think of it, it's like we want to stack the cards in your favor. We want to make sure that we line each of these things up so that we get the synergistic effects for optimal neuronal health. I love how you walk through very systematically each of those points, and there are multiple points that need to be addressed. And there, there's a lot of overlap, I'm sure, too, with bone health, right? As people are um, focusing on improving their, their brain health and their bone health, there's probably some overlap there. Can you touch on maybe, is there a connection between bone health and brain health? And if so, what would that be? Absolutely. So when I when I'm working with someone, you know, many of my patients have osteoporosis as well because women are more affected by Alzheimer's than men. They are two thirds of the patients with Alzheimer's are women, and osteoporosis very similar, right? Women are at much higher risk. And why is that? There's a few reasons. Uh, one is hormonal changes as we age. 
So estrogen is something that's protective for the brain and protective for bones. Minerals, another piece really important for the brain, really important for bones. Our neurotransmitter status depends on those cofactors and these very clear biochemical reactions in the brain. We cannot convert glutamate into GABA without zinc and B6. We need enough of these minerals, enough of these nutrients in order to have that biochemical process work. Toxicity, lead can affect bones, uh, lead can affect the brain. Other heavy metals like mercury are directly neurotoxic. So understanding our heavy metal status and our toxic burden can really help so that our, our brain or our bones, it, they're not spending resources fighting this toxin, but they can spend resources like regenerating. My, my mentor, Dr. Bredesen, he has these great analogies. And one of them, he says, think of your brain like a country, my brainiston. If it is stuck in defense and attack mode, if it's at war with toxins or infections, if it's trying to clean up messes, it doesn't have resources. You wouldn't want to be building roads and schools. They might get bombed, right? You don't have the capacity to spread your resources that thin or to, to divide your, your, your resource, your capacity. You want to focus on one. So you want to get rid of those toxins and infections and then support regeneration. And sometimes we're doing a little bit of both at once within reason, but we really want to be clear and again, systematically go through that process. Vitamin D and vitamin K2. D3K2, I'm sure, I mean, you're the expert here on this part, but good for your bones, really good for your brain. Vitamin D is a hormone. It's a signaling hormone that tells our brain it's, it is neurogenic, neurotrophic. It is it supports our brain in growing new nerve cells as well as connections between them. So really important. Testosterone is another one. And this is very much related to exercise because we know that our, our, our excuse me, not our bones, but our muscles, they're actually endocrine organs. They send signals to the brain, including signals that tell the brain to create, again, new neurons, new connections between them, including BDNF, uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor comes from muscle. And then testosterone does as well. So the more that we can get these signals going to the brain, the, the brain will respond. And um, I know that there's a lot of signaling between the brain and the muscle, or excuse me, the bones and the muscles um, and that help with osteoporosis. So you, I'm, I'm sure you've spoken, you're, you and your audience know that at length. Um, but exercise just being so critically important to brain health and bone health as well. Uh, and avoiding inflammatory foods and high sugar the things that are going to basically leach the the chemical, the, excuse me, the minerals from your bone are going to be inflammatory and hard on your brain as well. So I'm curious, what am I missing? I feel like par parathyroid. We could go down a whole rabbit hole there around how that is connected to to bone health, of course, but also brain health and and even gut health and all of the things that affect uh, how we age and whether it's healthy and and enjoyable or not. But I'm curious, what what am I missing? What else is on that list? No, I mean, you, you've touched on so many important things there. I mean, hormones obviously play a role. Primary osteoporosis, when you have that decrease in estrogen in postmenopausal women, that's going to be a big driver and contributor to bone loss. Secondary causes. This is something that, you know, you've touched on and we're kind of circling around there too. These are your things like diseases, conditions, medications, those toxicities, those kinds of things that could be creating issues in your body that have to be addressed and you have to get to the root cause of that. And you have to go through the testing to figure those things out. And it's such an important part of the process. You can't make assumptions. You have to make objective decisions. So 
get the data. And I know sometimes for people as they're thinking about this, some people have the budget to do it all at once, right? Some people don't. If you don't, then you just kind of go through and, and what can you manage at each time, right? And then continue to move forward in that progression. So um, I, in terms of maybe we can talk about a few actionable things for brain health that, w- that people can take away and do also related to nutrition, related to exercise or any other big areas that you think, what are some actionable things that people could take away no matter what age? Well, Kevin, I'm so glad that you just brought up this point of like accessibility and affordability, right? And the way I say say it to my patients is like, we can, I, I'm on this journey with you. I'm here to support you. And we can, if our destination is New York and that's optimal aging and optimal health, we can hitchhike and we can camp along the way, or you can get us a private jet. And it doesn't matter. We're still going in that direction. And so the things that you can do without having to spend a dime, you can change your diet. You've got to buy food. Just buy different food. And so this, what I recommend is an organic ketogenic diet. And if the organic piece is too much for you, just focus on veggies. I do think that if if cost is an issue, save save a little bit and buy better meat. So get that organic grass-fed, get that really high-quality animal product. That is going to go a long way. Toxins are concentrated in animal products. And so if we're not getting the organic versions, that can be more harmful than, say, non-organic fruits and veggies. But I do recommend an organic ketogenic diet because that shift in metabolism from burning uh, sugar for fuel to burning fat for fuel tends to turn our brain on. I even have the experience of feeling sharper, clearer, having more energy when I'm in ketosis. And um, so this isn't something that I suggest people be in forever. Uh, I actually recommend going back and forth between a plant-based diet and a ketogenic diet so that you're having, you're really focused on veggies as the primary source of nutrients, fiber, calories, you know, 75% of your plate is veggies. And then when you're in ketosis, you're adding typically animal protein um, and staying away from anything that's going to raise your blood sugar so that you can switch into metabolizing fat for fuel. As we age, we all become a little insulin resistant and we don't burn sugar as effectively or efficiently in our brain. And I just, like, it blows my mind because the human body, it's like a hybrid. Like, it's so miraculous. We can just switch the fuel source and burn it more efficiently and more cleanly. So with burning fat for fuel or ketones, we don't create as much oxidative stress as we do if we're in glycolysis or burning sugar for fuel. And then that, so that is very affordable. There's tons of great resources online for the ketogenic diet and switching back and forth between that and Whole30 or that and and a plant-based diet. I think it's like, that is a great way to get that metabolic flexibility the benefits of hormesis or being kind of in a fasting mimicking state where you get rid of those senescent cells, you get the metabolic benefits like I mentioned. Are there specific nutrients and compounds that you're also aiming to get or that you want to make sure you're you're not deficient in? So like nootropic things like that, that help and support the brain, like the herbs and the minerals and nutrients. So yeah, you know, I have I have some favorite brain supplements out there and that have a lot of curcumin and, and you know the lion's mane and all of the things that we carnitine and all the things that we think of for um, great brain function and inositol. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on um, of those specific nutrients. And instead of overwhelming people, I usually point them in the direction of a product that contains a combination of them. 
And I like the Qualia Mind product. Good friends of mine developed that. It's called Qualia Mind by Neurohacker Collective. And that's the product that we actually used in my clinical trial, um, along with omegas and, um, and then the vitamin D with K2 and usually a probiotic. So everyone got that, those, those things. And then depending on the individual, because we measure, as you mentioned, you know, it's great when you can get the testing done because then we can be highly personalized about how we make sure that, you know, you're digesting and absorbing first that you're choosing the right things to eat. And then are you able to digest them? Are you able to assimilate them? And if not, can we bump you up? Can we supplement you? Because supplements are supplemental. Can we supplement you so that we can get you to those really optimal levels? Um, yeah. I love that. And then what about maybe exercise too? Are there specific notes around exercise also? Yeah. So I know that you and your audience are very familiar with cardio and strength training. What I would add for specifically for cognition is the combination of cognitive engagement with physical engagement. And again, on this spectrum, whether you're preventing or reversing, it's going to be different. So for some people, going, showing up to a yoga or Zumba or Pilates class and listening to the cues of the instructor, that's enough. That is cognitive engagement. Ballroom dancing. I think this is why ballroom dancing comes up uh, as something that prevents Alzheimer's disease because you're physical, you're being physical as you're having to remember the steps, plus you're being social. You get a lot of engagement together at the same time, simultaneously. And we see really like nearly exponential benefits. So you get tons of benefit just from strength training or from cardio. But if you combine it with being at your cognitive edge, you get much, it's not a little bit more benefit. You get much more benefit, significantly more benefit. And they've looked in both people with dementia, mild cognitive impairment. So on that entire spectrum, the science shows that you get improvements in cognition generally, in quality of life and ability to engage in activities of daily living, really like where the rubber meets the road in terms of dignity. Like, can I dress myself? Can I prepare a meal for myself? Can I go to the bathroom on my own? You get improvements in that. And then you also get improvements in mood. So the, like, if only we could bottle this, right? But instead, it takes some work. But it, uh, if somebody is going to a class, say, and like I go to Pilates, right? I've been to the same Pilates instructor for four and a half years. I know what she's going to say before she says it. I can check out completely, not at my cognitive edge. So what I need to do is go for a run and listen to Peter Atia or listen to, you know, somebody who's going to cognitively engage me. And so then I, I'm there. So then this is dynamic. It changes, right? Your physical edge and your cognitive edge are going to move. And so we not we want to stay right on the edge of that. And it's really fun doing it with someone. You know, this is part of the social aspect. I have this patient who did really well in the clinical trial. And what she did, she had one of her granddaughters living with her at the time. And so they would go for brisk walks. And her granddaughter would quiz her on like birthdays and anniversaries and their family. So she was really engaged. You know, she was emotionally engaged in the information and it helps her to remember. I love that. And uh, when we're talking about brain healthy lifestyle, right, are there other things that people should be focused on? And I know you, you talked about something that was really empowering uh, at the beginning of the episode, which was you can prevent, you can reverse Alzheimer's. Maybe touch on that a little bit too. Yeah, well, I'd love, I'd love to just share sleep because it's another thing. We all sleep, right? And the, the quality of that sleep is so important. 
in the past six months, I've had two patients with very severe Alzheimer's. I mean, to where they were dependent on other people for their activities of daily living, their day-to-day life. They couldn't live independently. They had MOCA scores, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, the way we identify where they are on that spectrum. And their MOCA scores were at eight out of 30. 30 is perfect. 26 and above is normal. They were down at eight. This is severe disease. Both of them doubled their scores after optimizing their sleep. They both got on CPAP devices and started using them regularly. When it comes to brain health, having obstructive sleep apnea, having apnea events at night is essentially like having mild brain damage every night. And for me, that's just not okay. <laughs> like We have to do something about that. And certainly I've seen that play out with my patients. If they have apnea and they are able to start wearing the CPAP or get the oral device that keeps your airway open at night or get some positional pillows, maybe some people are losing a little bit of weight, whatever they need to do to optimize their their airway, um, the patency of their airway at night, critically important. Now, just optimizing sleep in general, making sure you're getting enough of it that maybe you're, you're, the temperature of the room is right, the light is right, the sound is right, whatever you need to do, you've set aside the time, you've, you're avoiding the blue light, that sleep hygiene piece can be really important. And then using nutrients, maybe magnesium, uh, inositol, there's a ton of things that we can do to support healthy sleep and doing it, just do it so that you get that really optimal sleep. That's when our brain rinses the toxins out. And so really important to, to optimize that, whether you're in prevention or, or in reversal. On the flip side, there are, are studies that show people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, well before the onset of dementia, if they have even one night of sleep deprivation, they have measurable accumulation in the morning of beta amyloid plaques, the changes in our brain associated with Alzheimer's disease. So you can imagine if you expand that over decades of sleep deprivation, that is real change at a structural level with these misfolded proteins that is going to lead to cognitive decline. Wow. I, that's, that's really interesting uh, because I know for me in the past, that used to be a badge of honor, right? Staying up late, uh, working, working really hard, working long hours or uh, finishing projects late at night and then waking up early to start it all over again. That was a badge of honor, even though I didn't like it or enjoy it. And I'm sure a lot of people are in that cycle. If they're not retired and they're still working full time and they're trying to meet deadlines, they may be sacrificing sleep right now. But what I'm understanding from you is that in terms of our mental health uh, and our cognitive function, that's one of the biggest levers we need to be pulling and dialing in. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You mentioned mental health and depression. Depression, anxiety, stress, these are also associated with a risk of dementia. And caregivers Caregivers experience a lot of, um, of strain, of burden, caregiving, and, and they have anywhere from two and a half to six times the risk of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's later in life compared to those who don't uh, act as caregivers. And so it's really important for anybody who is supporting someone who has dementia as a caregiver, make sure you're doing all of this too. You need the prevention. So do it with them. Do it together. People are much more successful when they have that support and everybody's kind of doing it together. And I, I just, if you take nothing else away from this and you're a caregiver, have one day to yourself per week where you can go enjoy your hobbies. You're not taking care of anybody. You're not taking care of anybody with Alzheimer's, nobody with no kids, just taking care of yourself, seeing your friends, your peer group, enjoying, enjoying life, taking that moment um, to balance your stressors so that you don't become the patient. Great message. 
I've got two short questions for you, and then I want people to find out where they can find you at as well. Uh, the first one would be, as you look forward to you know the areas of the research, what do you believe has the potential to you know advance the field and treatments for Alzheimer's and dementia the most? Yeah, so I think this multimodal intervention, that this precision-based multimodal intervention, the technology is such that we can get so much information about people pretty quickly in, um, in terms of the testing. And I think the cost of that will go down. What we've seen is that, unfortunately, billions of dollars and decades of time have really been channeled into this amyloid plaque hypothesis, and we got it wrong. And it's really time to switch gears. Also, the way that science has worked out, you know, the, the paradigm here is that the best way to test something is to limit the variables and just have one single intervention. That doesn't match the complexity of the disease process. We need a much more complex intervention if we're going to address Alzheimer's in a really significant way. You'll see that the, the drugs that are out there that have been recently approved by the FDA, um, the Kembi is one that's out. It it helps to slow the progression of disease. Essentially, this draws out a torturous process. This does not improve quality of life. It keeps people from getting worse. Like a little, it makes them a little go slower. It's like kind of trips me out. It told I'm like, what value does that? And it doesn't help them get any better. And so what we saw is that we can help people get better. And I hope that the research, part of what happened was it. Uh, the research was looking for these surrogate markers. They were looking for the reduction in beta amyloid plaques, but amyloid plaques don't equal cognition. You can have a lot of amyloid plaques and still have good cognition. You can have no amyloid plaques and have terrible cognition. What we need to do in the research is focus on what matters, and that's cognitive capacity. I love that. Where can people find you? I, uh, You can find out more about me at drheathersanderson.com, and signing up for my newsletter uh, is a great way to get the updates about the book coming out and practical tips, the science, the research, and then what's happening in my clinical practice and at Marama. So yeah, I'd love to hear from everyone. We offer coaching classes uh, so that people can really get the benefit of all of this Bredesen's approach from the comfort of their own homes before they think they need it so they never have to deal with Alzheimer's. Dr. Heather Sadison, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm, I know our audience has learned a lot. I've learned uh, a great deal as well. And I just thank you so much for your time. Kevin, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. For everybody listening, you can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned here today over at bonecoach.com forward slash Alzheimer's prevention reversal. Dr. Heather Sadison, I want to thank you again. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of The Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, and your future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.